0: Okay, so hi, everybody. Welcome, Cindy. You were uh, you were away from the camera before when we greeted you, so hello, hello. All right. Are you caffeinating? Is that what that's about?
1: Forget it. Not worth unmuting.
0: Okay, gotcha. All right. Well, welcome, everybody. It's good to see you all here today. We are on the book of Mishlei, the book of Proverbs by King Solomon and learning it with the commentary of Rabbi Meir Leibush Malvin, a rabbi from a couple hundred years ago. And welcome Avril and Debbie. And here we go. We are going to dive into our weekly Torah study. All right. So we have been talking about um the concept of people befriending other people for ulterior motives and not practicing unconditional friendship. And when we are the victims of conditional friendship, so people like us when we do the things they want us to do, or when we're the people that, you know, they want us to be, but if things change, then sometimes friendships change. And, you know, that's very unfortunate. Now, um, Oh, I was frozen, wasn't I? Okay. Am I back now? Yes. Okay. So conditional and unconditional friendship. Now, friendships do change over time. You know, there are some people who we stay friends with over years and years and decades and decades, and that's very, very beautiful and special. But most friendships do not fit into that category. Most friendships, you know, you're friends with certain people in your teens and you're friends with certain people in your 20s and in your 30s. And, you know, many friendships just don't withstand the test of time, whether there's a good reason or not a good reason. Or sometimes it's just based on convenience, geography, life circumstances. Okay, but when we. Why am I freezing? Sorry, I don't know what is wrong with my internet today. It keeps being weird. Um, In any case, um, we want to be mindful. This is what King Solomon is telling us about, um, to pay attention when people are befriending us for the wrong reasons and for us to make sure that we're not befriending people for the wrong reasons. Okay, so we are on chapter 19, verse 7. Um, page 196 and 197 for those of you who have the book. All right. So here we go, verse 7. Oh, sorry. All the brothers of a poor man hate him. How much more so do his friends draw far away from him? amarim yet he pursues words saying they are still his. Okay, so this is a very sad verse. This is a verse about a person who has lost his money and his friends abandon him. They don't want to be friends with him anymore. So the commentary says when a man loses his wealth, the good time friends, you know what we would call your fair weather friends, desert him. Right. And we're not just talking here about literal money. Many verses in this book operate on a literal level and also on a metaphorical and symbolic level. Right. So sometimes it's not that the person necessarily lost their money literally, but maybe they lost their currency that was valuable to that friend. Um, maybe they changed. Maybe they got into certain things that their friends aren't into. Maybe they're not into certain things that they used to be into, right? And they lost some value or currency in their friend's eyes, okay? And then what happens is the fair weather friends desert him. The fair weather friends say, well, listen, you know, you're no longer dealing in the currency that's valuable to us, so I don't really have a need for you anymore. You don't really fit into my life anymore, so yeah, not into you anymore. If he becomes a rush, rush is a Hebrew word that means abjectly poor, so destitute, right? Even his close kin desert him. So sometimes it's not just your friends who leave you, it's your family who leaves you. Yet he desperately continues to boast that they are still his friends. But this person doesn't want to admit that this has happened to him. It's very embarrassing. It's very uncomfortable. Right, abandonment is real. I heard someone say the other day, "No one can be a no one can be abandoned except for children and puppies." And I was like, <laughs> "What? That's not true. Adults can be abandoned, of course." And there's physical abandonment, and there's emotional abandonment. You know, where somebody who used to be there for you is not there for you anymore, and they they don't have time for you the way they used to have time for you, or they just don't really like make you a priority or return your calls or show up for you in your important moments, that really hurts. It's extremely painful, but it's embarrassing to admit that you've been abandoned because nobody wants to feel like, oh, for me, I'm abandoned. You know, so they're like, oh, whatever. I mean, maybe they had a good reason, you know. So that's what King Solomon is saying. He will attract every, sorry, the commentary, he desperately continues to boast that they are still his friends. Nobody wants to admit that things have actually changed. It's very shameful. It can feel very shameful. Even when the other person did it, you didn't do anything wrong. You were the victim of circumstances. Hang on, let me close my door. Busy day at JFX. Right. So even if, even if this person is not the one who did anything wrong, their friends are the one who did something wrong because they abandoned them. Right but still a person feels very, very shameful. I had a friend call me up the other day and she was telling me about some difficulties that she was having in her marriage. And she's like, you know, certain things that her husband had said and did that were so emotionally neglectful. And she was ashamed to tell me, even though she hadn't done anything wrong, she was the victim of this emotional neglect. And yet she was filled with shame because it's, it feels very shameful to have been abandoned and mistreated because then it's like admitting that you were victimized, like somehow that was your fault or like you brought it upon yourself. So here this person, the subject of the verse, has been abandoned by their friends because their fortune changed. And yet it's so embarrassing to tell people that their friends left them, that they still continue to say that this one is my friend and this one is my friend and this one is my friend because it's too hard to face this reality that actually the people you thought were your friends are really only fair weather friends and sometimes it's even family and it hurts it hurts a lot and it's very hard to to confront these painful realities that some people were not really there for the right reasons but were only there you know when it served them some people are not emotionally healthy enough to be there for you because they're so caught up in their own stuff. And so, you know, sometimes the best we can do is to depersonalize it. Um, You know, and sometimes what I found helpful in a situation like that is to say, are they doing it to other people or is it only me? And usually the person who practices this type of abandonment is doing it to numerous people in their life. So it's not really about you, it's really about something broken within them that they're not capable of showing up or of being a true friend or sibling or parent because they're unable or maybe unwilling for whatever reason. But it's not really as much as we feel ashamed and so sad and we feel so neglected and abandoned and it hurts so much it can be helpful to acknowledge that it's really about them and their stuff and you just happen to be in the crosshairs. For those of you who were at JFX for High Holidays last year, I talked about this on Yom Kippur. I gave a talk called My John and it was about a person in my life who is very emotionally unwell and whom I have been really struggling with in, in that relationship and it was all about this topic about like how do you deal with the person who is not there for you that you thought was an unconditional ally and really is not and it's a very painful situation to deal with okay big big topic and painful topic any any thoughts or comments on this one i have one
2: question is yes. there any is there any relationship between Arash and arasha
0: mm that's a very good question um, there are two different Hebrew wor- uh, roots, okay. actually, because Rush is rash Shin and Russia is rash Shin Ayin. So the Ayin makes it a totally different root. OK. Yeah. Cindy. Um, so we've
3: discussed it before. I also have a John in my life and I struggled. It actually became I became physically ill from it but I had to be the one who was the mean guy and give up this person because I had to be the one who was the fair weather friend, but I don't know because I couldn't physically and emotionally take their behavior anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was interesting because one of their issues was everybody keeps on leaving me. Mm -hmm. And I felt really bad because I also had to be, one of these people who are leaving. And it's very difficult. It's, it's probably one of the most difficult relationships in my life. It still is because it was a good friend who had issues and I still not, clearly it's, I've been talking about this person now on this since before COVID I think. Um, but yeah, it's hard to be the bad guy. It has, it's yeah. hard to be the one who has to leave. and has to cut complete ties because somebody else's behavior is, has changed so it's yes. almost a little bit of the opposite I'm reading from here but you know here it's you know you don't want you shouldn't leave I'm feeling like you shouldn't leave somebody because they they're they are no longer wealthy or they no longer can offer you things but when so yeah. that's that's my struggle I feel like I have betrayed them where
0: so I I think the difference is um and, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry that you're dealing with this. It's such a painful situation to be in. But I think the difference is that some people abandon you. I shouldn't say you. Some people have to change the, you know, the structure of a relationship for a really good reason. And some people tra- oh, yeah. change the structure of a relationship for a really bad reason. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I,
3: you know been counseled enough that i know that this is a good reason but it's right. still and just because it's, summa, a good re- it's not natural for me to right. abandon anybody because
0: they're ill well and also just because you did it for a good reason and it was unequivocally the right thing to do doesn't mean the other person will get it or like it oh, for sure. For sure. for sure for sure um and the other piece to this too is like you know if you're ever not sure or feeling conflicted, like what I was saying before is that all you have to do is ask yourself like, okay, because sometimes, sometimes these things are crazy making where you're like, wait, mm-hmm. am I the crazy one? Like, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't like the word crazy, but am I the problematic not it. one right. or are they the problematic one? And the way to know is to ask yourself who has the, pro- who is carrying the problem here? Because usually the person who's the problem has problems with many people. Mm-hmm. And the person who doesn't have the problem doesn't have the problem with many people. Mm -hmm. They only have the problem with that person. So, you know, that can just be like a way to be like, okay, right. Okay. Right. Like I'm seeing clarity here. You know, it's not like I'm the one who's always making problems for other people. Um, But a lot of people have a hard time being in a relationship with this person. This is the emotionally unhealthy person, you know, and I agree with you, especially when it's a family member, like abandonment is very harsh but a person can still um, show up for a family member in certain ways, not abandon them completely, but maybe not be there for them in all the ways that they would like you to be there for them. Sure. You know, So this is something that I have said to some of my people in my life is like, I cannot be there for you in all the ways that you want me to be there for you, but I will be there for you in all the ways that I can be there for you. Because oh, sometimes... Yeah. Sometimes their demands are just too high, and it's not healthy. Or I am not capable of meeting their expectations on all those levels, but I can still be there for them in other ways, you know. And, and that's called boundaries, and that's called boundaries in a relationship. You know what I mean? Yeah. And when there's
3: a family member, you know, in in some ways it's easier with a family member. In some ways it's harder with a family member. Right. When the family member they're just in your life, and you have to create these boundaries. Where when it's not a family member, which is my situation, you know, um, there have I had to completely cut it off to a person who's begging. And um, but I like your I like your example is this person also begging several other people. And when you realize that this person is begging several other people, it, it kind of brings you home and kind of makes you well, makes I think that's a good. I think that's going to be a good tool for me mm-hmm. to keep reminding myself when I feel like um, the boundary I took was maybe too severe. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but it's but um. No, that, that's I, that was a good. That's a good tool.
2: Yeah. Hey, can I? Not to belabor the point. Can I offer yeah. one? Sure. um Just to mention that you labeled it you being the bad guy, and my offer. Mm-hmm. I recognize that myself. So I'm only saying this because I love you. Um, <laughs> that You are only protecting yourself. You're not the bad guy that you are good, being good to
3: yourself and you're labeling being bad. Right. Because this person is definitely labeled. Label me as a bad guy. Like oh, I'm okay. definitely. Uh, and so I think, but right. I can't, I shouldn't level myself as bad. Even right. if they're level. Okay. Even okay. if they think I'm bad, I am not bad.
0: Well, no, and yeah. actually I'll add, I'll add another layer to that, which is that not only are you being good to good. yourself, but ultimately you are also being good to them. Yeah. Um, yeah and I this agree. Is the topic yeah. for those of you who are on my Tuesday class as well, we were just talking about compassion and about how misplaced compl- compassion is actually a form of cruelty. That there are times that people are more compassionate than they should be to certain people where it's not healthy for them and it ends up being bad for them because Mm -hmm. they're unable to create boundaries. So it's not just that, well, it's bad for them, but it's good for you. You know, no, it's good for you and it's ultimately good for them. Not that they Mm -hmm. like it and not that they're going to thank you for it, Mm -hmm. but that's what they need.
3: Totally agree. Doesn't make it feel better though. Kind of makes it feel a little better, but I like these tools. I like Sherry's and yours tools. It,
0: It helps this class helps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Laura, did you want to share something? I was going to just ask, would you say that these are a different
2: type of conditional relationship? You know, we always think of conditional like when you're talking about the wealth, you know, or the status or the, you know, currency. Um, it's just, I don't know. Something came to my mind about it's condition, you know, the condition I guess is your behavior. If you don't behave a certain way, they flip out or, you know, whatever the case may be. So it's sort of its own
0: conditional
4: type of relationship. interesting
0: question. I think maybe the way I would define it is that with an emotionally healthy person, you can have an unconditional relationship, but with an emotionally unhealthy person, you have to put in conditions because otherwise you're going to get swallowed up in the unhealthiness of it. So this verse is describing like, you know, ideally, nobody should leave you because you lost your wealth or your status or your job or your marriage or whatever. Right. Ideally, nobody should do that. But the bottom line is that some people do that. You know, and when people hurt you, then sometimes you do have to put boundaries. You, 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 you know, you can be like, wouldn't it be wonderful if we lived in a world where we could be totally open with people and totally honest and vulnerable and nobody would hurt us or take advantage of us? That would be beautiful. And there are certain people in this world that we are going to have that kind of relationship with. But then we're going to have, unfortunately, we're going to find ourselves in relationships with people who can act manipulative. And who might twist around our vulnerabilities and use it against us. And so we do have to put up boundaries in those relationships. So yes, I would say plan A, emotionally healthy people, everybody supporting each other, rah, 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 you're my cheerleader, I'm your cheerleader, great, unconditional. Plan B, emotionally unhealthy, complicated people, you know, I've got to create some boundaries. It can't just be unconditional all the time, because then I'm gonna get hurt and they're gonna get hurt and things are not gonna be good, right? Plan C, and this is also something I sort of, you know, laid out in my my John talk. Plan C is that some people are actually toxic. And you know, in our culture, we throw that word around so freely and so easily. Like anybody that looks at us sideways is toxic, right? Toxic means that person is making me ill. Okay, like on an ongoing basis, there are some people that we really have to have limited contact with because otherwise we're going to get completely swallowed up in that dynamic. Okay, let us move on to verse eight. Kone lave ohave nafsho. He who gains a self disciplining heart loves his own soul. Okay, so we're talking here about soul care. Soul care is self-care. I always say that. I think it's kind of a good phrase, right? I like it. Soul care is self-care, okay? So Kona Lev Ohjeevnov show, returning to page 198 and 199. He who gains a self-disciplining heart loves his own soul. Shomer Tvuna tov, one who keeps understanding shall find good. So, here what we're talking about is a cause and effect where a person takes care of his own soul, a person nurtures his own understanding, and he will only come out ahead for this, right? So, there is a cause and effect that we often see in the world, but sometimes it doesn't, it's not always so easy to see. For example, I know a person who died of lung cancer who never smoked a cigarette in their life. And I know a person who smoked cigarettes for years and years and years, and she's 95 years old and she's alive and well. So sometimes in the physical world, we don't (laughs) see such a nice, neat cause and effect. You can practice terrible health habits and live forever, practically. And then there are people who literally do everything right. You know, they're vegan and they run every day and they you know, go to sleep early and put cucumbers on their eyes and never go in the sun and who knows what. And then unfortunately they could, you know, suffer from health issues. So that doesn't mean we shouldn't practice good health habits, right? Like I said, I think on Tuesday, if you, God forbid, you run into the street and you don't get hurt, that doesn't make it a good idea. Okay. So we definitely want to practice good physical self-care habits, right? Because we are given a body as a gift from God. And he wants us to take care of these bodies that he gave us. He wants them to nurture them and protect them and be kind to them and be grateful for them and take care of them. 100%. That body is the container for your soul. It is the body with which you will move around this world and, you know, God willing, do very good things and you need to take care of your body. But there are no guarantees in life when it comes to our body, right? Some people got COVID and died. Some people got COVID and bounced back. Some people never got COVID. I don't know. Even the most noted doctors in the world have a hard time understanding these, um, explaining these things sometimes. However, in the spiritual realm, we have a very clear cause and effect. If you take care of your soul right? He who gains a self-disciplining heart loves his own soul. One who keeps understanding shall find good. If you take care of your soul, your soul will be healthy, period. That's a guarantee. You nurture your soul. You give it the sun, water, oxygen that it needs. You feed it good experiences. You feed it Torah wisdom. You feed it positive people. Your soul will bloom, right? Direct cause and effect. There's no guesswork there. OK, so what we're trying. So what King Solomon is trying to say in this verse is take the time and make the effort to invest in your own heart and soul, because you will definitely see results from that. OK, to the commentary back to 197, gaining a heart. Right. So when we say we say it in Hebrew, kone lev, Kona in Hebrew is a word that means to acquire like to purchase or to buy, okay? So Lave, and it's translated as he who gains a self-disciplining heart." that means that you spend the time, just like when you purchase a product, you spend time, effort, and money into this product, right? And the bigger or more significant of a purchase it is, the more time you'll spend trying to figure out What kind do you want? What's the best product? What's going to last a long time? What's going to serve you the best? What's a well-rated brand, right? Because you're going to be sinking time, money, and energy into this, you know, acquisition and you want to make sure that you're doing it wisely, okay? So you are investing. That's a good way to say it. You're investing in your own heart. So gaining a heart means mastering the emotional center of one's personality listen to those powerful words mastering the emotional center of one's personality now we always say this in master class it starts with self-awareness how do you gain mastery over the emotional center of your own personality Only by being truly willing to look your personality in the eye, so to speak, if you'll excuse my mixed metaphors, looking your personality in the eye and asking yourself, what is the emotional center of my personality? What animates me? What motivates me? What encourages me? What inspires me? And any, you know, personality analysis system that's out there, there's, you know, the, EMFT, and there's the Enneagrams, and there's, you know, Lori Palatnik has her Chaim Brachatov, all these different personality analysis systems. Great. I'm a fan of anything that will bring a person to a greater sense of self awareness about where their strengths and weaknesses are. You know, so that is the genesis of growth. Being willing to really be honest with yourself about what animates you and motivates you so that you can utilize that knowledge and that awareness to do better. And that's how you gain mastery over the emotional center of your own personality. Because if you don't know who you are, then how can you figure out how to do better? And a big piece of this is not feeling ashamed of your weaknesses, but rather saying, This is how I am hardwired. Great, no problem. That's how God made me. Now, what should I do about it? Is this a trait that I should strengthen and develop, or th- is this a trait that I should try to work on to redirect or to minimize or shrink? right? It's just a matter of knowing, as author Alan Morena says, knowing where your spiritual curriculum is. That's all, right? It's like uh, you know, a kid takes an iQ test. And it turns out they're very strong in this area. They're weak in this area. That's great. That's all information. Now you know what to do. You need to work on this area. You don't need to work on that area. Or you could take your strength and do good things with it, right? Yes, I need help. One of the hardest things to say. Okay, so gaining a heart means mastering the emotional center of one's personality. So that, we're on page 198, he can govern his passions in accord with the laws of morality that he has accepted. So that's the end goal. The end goal is that you can get a hold of yourself, right? You can control your behaviors, your responses, your reactions to the things you cannot control. Because stuff will happen and life will happen and people will do things and people will say things. And now are you going to gain mastery over your personality? Are you going to be able to govern your passions in accord with the laws of morality? Right? So when someone says something outlandish and you think to yourself, wow, that was literally the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard anyone say in my whole entire life. Also, notice how I want to rip their head off. Hmm. Also, notice how counterproductive that would be. Hmm. Notice how patience is not my strong suit. Notice how I'm acting patient anyway. Noticing how I'm practicing silence. (laughs) And I'm thinking to myself, look at me pretending to be Zen when I'm not. <laughs> Go me. I am awesome because I have gained mastery over my own personality and I am governing my passions in accordance with the laws of morality that I have accepted. In a sense, this teaching is the nugget of all of Mussar. Mastery over ourselves, governing what we want to do, our passions in accordance with a greater guide of morality. It would not be correct to say, to react, to overreact, to lash out. None of those things would be helpful. I would not even feel good about myself. So I am going to be in control of myself because I cannot control other people. I can only control myself, right? Some of you may be familiar with the serenity prayer of Alcoholics Anonymous. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And whenever I think of this prayer, it's so clear to me. I'm like, God, give me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, i.e. everybody else. The courage to change the things I can, i.e. me. And the wisdom to know the difference. Oh, it wasn't really that complicated. <laughs> Just kidding. It is complicated, but you know what I'm saying. Okay. Continuing in the commentary, this self-mastery is achieved by employing one's rational mind. So that's what um, that's what the verse is saying, right? He who gains a self-disciplining heart loves his own soul one who keeps understanding, right? It starts in the mind. You understand things about your heart. You understand that there is a better way. Now that doesn't always translate into action. The rub is letting your mind, right? And not your heart, not your emotions, because your emotions could be completely out of whack, but your mind can say, oh, hello, emotions being completely out of whack. Now, listen up, you guys. We're going to put a lid on it for now. Okay, got it? And the emotions are like, no, we don't want to put a lid on it. And the mind is like, right, but new sheriff in town. You guys are not the boss. I'm the boss. Okay, so this self-mastery is achieved by employing one's rational mind, contemplating the moral law, right, really having the ability to think. What is it that is the right thing to do in this moment? But only if the rational mind is put to proper use, working to good purpose to find good. So that's the end of the verse. One who keeps understanding shall find good. Because guess what? There are people in this world who are not trying to find good. You may have encountered some of these people along the way, or perhaps you have seen them on social media, right? And those people... And this is so mind-boggling to me. They can look at the same facts and figures, the same situation, and twist it around to mean what they want it to mean. So if you're a good person in search of good, then you can use your mind to mastermind evil. And, And that's what's really, excuse the overlap here but that's really mind-blowing is when you see intelligent people who look at the same situation and can twist it around to fit some preconceived notion that they want it to mean or to interpret it the way they wanted to interpret it because they're they're so they're so twisted in their minds that they can't see clearly. So the like precondition for all of this is that you truly desire good to see good to know good to understand good to be good, then you'll be able to use your rational mind to get control over yourself because otherwise you can use your rational mind to justify whatever you want to do. And that's actually a very scary function of being human. Okay, thoughts, comments, reflections on verse 8.
1: Okay, it reminds me of the um, commercial that Zara ran that I sent you when you want to see what you want to see
0: and how. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Were.
1: That was Remember crazy. That?
0: Yes. Talk about that. That was insane.
1: There was like so there was a commercial that Zara ran and it was it it came out in September, but like before like before the attacks happened. And I don't know, I guess some Palestinian person saw it and thought it was. It was like they had like mannequins or something. I mean, it was sort of eerie looking, but whatever happened, someone was like, this is a slight on Palestinians. And like, they got all these people to start protesting Zara (laughs) to walk through the stores. And I love the British guy who's like, can you tell me what you're protesting? And they're like, they don't even know what they're protesting. (laughs) right they don't they have no idea they're like
0: uh one and that, that one woman draw the drew the wrong flag on her cheek yes
1: right right and I'm like they're just paying these people to get they give them a flag they give them a scarf and they tell them here's a sign go do this and they're doing it
0: yeah um my friend Yafa Palti calls those people sheeple <laughs> that's funny I love Yafa. Oh, that's a good one sheeple they're not using their rational mind. No. They're just being sheeple.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah, that's that's a great example. Okay, any other thoughts, comments on this verse? Okay, number nine. Aid Shikarim Lo A false witness will not go unpunished. Okay, so the word shekarim comes from the word sheker. If you recall, we had that a couple verses ago where a sheker is a lie, right? So a lying witness will not go unpunished, um, which is a recurring theme in this text that even though it doesn't seem in the moment that there may be justice, but that justice is always ultimately served. Okay, so a false witness will not go unpunished. And one who breathes out lies shall perish. Okay, so we had a very similar verse in verse five, where we also talked about sheker, which is an outright lie, and a kazav, which is a falsehood disguised as truth, right? For those of you who were on on that class, you'll remember that. So here we have the same two words, aid shikarim, that comes from the checker, via fia kazavim, that's kazav, right? One who breathes out lies. That means it's a more subtle lie. It's more of like what we might call a white lie, like allowing people to believe something that's not exactly true, even if you didn't lie outright, okay? And while we're not recommending doing that, but if you have to be less than honest for some greater gain, you want to try to lie as little as possible. All right. So again, the translation a false witness shall not go unpunished, and one who breathes out lies shall perish. Okay. So the commentary is, you know, understanding this verse as a continuation of the previous verse, right? So we were talking about if you can use your rational mind and put it to the good for the purpose of good, then your rational mind can get mastery over your personality and bring you to a greater state of morality. Okay, now here's number nine. If, however, the intellect is put to corrupt purposes, okay, unfortunately, we know history has shown us these evil geniuses these evil masterminds, architects of destruction. And I'm talking about like the famous evil people, the Stalins and the Hitlers of the world. But I'm also talking about low key people who are wandering around in our own societies who use their minds to scheme and to be like the mean girls or these manipulative bosses, or, you know, you find these personalities in all circles, people who are very, very bright, but they use their mind not to bring greater good to the world, but to just for their own gain, stepping on other people in the way. So if, however, the intellect is put to corrupt purposes and draws false conclusions from what it observes, then destruction is the result, right? And what a crime this is. That God has given this person a greater dose of intellect. And not only have they not used it to bring betterment to the world, but the opposite is true. They've used their advantage of intelligence to prey upon other people, take advantage of them, and bring greater loss to the world. What a crime. It is possible to abuse the faculty of Bina. Bina is what's generally translated as understanding or intuition, right? Rational analysis and comprehension to arrive at heretical conclusions on matters of faith. You know, I I, I say this to like my students sometimes, which is don't make the mistake of thinking that all the atheists are stupid. There are many brilliant, genius atheists out there. Who have looked at everything the world has to offer, the nature and the animals and the ecosystem and astronomy and DNA code and the function of the human brain and all of it, and come to the conclusion that there is no God. Those people aren't stupid. They're just mistaken. Okay? Okay. You can have a very high dose of intellect and still draw incorrect conclusions about the world and about other people. Look how Adolf Hitler managed to convince people that they were doing the world a favor by getting rid of the Jews. Look how many very bright analysts and pundits can look at the situation in the Middle East and decide that a terror organization is right And a democracy in the Middle East is wrong. Mind-boggling. But don't make the mistake of thinking they're stupid. They're not stupid. They're just twisted. And they're wrong. They have used their intellect, exactly as it says here, to arrive at heretical conclusions on matters of faith, even at philosophies that seem attractive and plausible at first. What happens is that people look at the world and they're trying to stick up for the underdog. And right now, the Palestinian people have painted themselves as the underdog and the Israelis as the aggressors and the um, colonizers, occupiers. It boggles my mind how people can draw these conclusions when they look at the world. these will betray their shoddiness, however, in the crucible of time. What he's saying is that don't worry about this because as King Solomon has said over and over again in this text, and will continue to say over and over again in this text, eventually the truth wins and lies do not have stability. Okay. And this is something that I have shared with you guys in the past, but I'm going to share it again. So the Hebrew word for Sheker, which is a lie, right? The way it appears in the Torah in like print Hebrew, okay, it's it's made up of three Hebrew letters. I really need a Sharpie for this. So I don't know, keep here. I have I have limited school supplies sure. in my office, but bear with me here for a second. Okay, so here you go. Here is the word Shekhar. Now, if you can see those three letters, if they were made into a 3D model none of those letters would be able to stand on their own right the shin stands on a point the resh sta- the the kuf stands on two disembodied pieces each one on a point and the resh stands on a point now the hebrew word for truth anybody know the hebrew word for truth MS. ms emet so the way that's written in the torah Hang on. We're having arts and crafts today. The way that's written in the Torah would look like this. Emet. Now, if you see the word Emet, right, the Aleph has two feet. The Mem has a flat base and the Tuf has two feet. If you were to make a 3D letter, a 3D model of these letters, they would all be able to stand on their own. So truth always has staying power, and lies will ultimately topple and fall. That's the message of the Hebrew letters. So you look around the world and you'll you'll say, whatever your position is on Israel right now, and I know there's a variety of opinions, but one thing is for sure, there are people lying about Israel every single day. Smart people with very broad followings, Lying about Israel. And it's so frustrating and it's so depressing. But King Solomon is saying, don't worry. Lies will not last. The truth will prevail. And that's really what we have to tell ourselves. We have to encourage ourselves, both for our own sake. If we find ourselves being anything less than honest, we should remind ourselves the truth is going to come out eventually. It just doesn't pay. It doesn't pay. You're going to pay for that lie one day. Right. And when we see other people lying about us, our land, our people, just remind ourselves, that's not going to last. The wise the do not have staying power. Okay. Any thoughts, comments, reflections on number nine? So the Sheker, is that the same as in Esha's Heil? Yes. Okay. False is um, beauty and vanity. Uh, isha Hashem halal, A woman who reveres God, she is to be praised. Exactly. It's the same word. That it's, again, it's a, it's an expression of not being lasting. Right. Okay. Any other final reflections before we close up today? Okay.
3: Wait, I have a, I have a question. You yes. had the two, you had the word shepherd two words for lies the 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 sneaky lie right
0: Sheker is the outright lie uh-huh and then which is kuf zion, bet kuf zion, bet okay kuzav that is like the the vague lie the white okay. lie the less obvious lie uh-huh
3: and then what in in number Nine what what Michelle Bessarim Shekel. What does Shekel mean? It was on number ten, I think it was. The last one. We didn't do
0: that one. We didn't do that one. We didn't do that. We didn't get there. Okay. No, but that is um Michelle um. Yeah. I'm not sure what that one is. I have to think about we haven't gotten there.
3: I see we haven't gotten there yet.
0: Yeah.
4: Okay. Did I say something?
0: Um, Yeah, Tammy.
4: So, one way that I guess the rational mind works is to take shortcuts or heuristics. And one lazy phenomena of the rational mind is to dichotomize um, things into categories, even though they may be continuums. So, you're either the oppressor or the oppressed mm. or you're the underdog or you're the, you know, well, right. Um, yeah. So just thinking in terms of the ways both other people and we ourselves um, take these sort of shortcuts that may be convenient and easy to wrap our heads around, but our, actually in the reductionism, we're losing the most important parts. Mm-hmm. Liberal, conservative,
0: you know, it's it happening mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. <laughs> it's so interesting you mentioned that because there's a person who I follow on social media who is an author. I love him. I love his writings. I love his books. Um, and recently he's been... Um, criticizing Israel for its actions in Gaza. And my first reaction was to unfollow him. And like you're saying, like you're either for us or you're against us. You're either a good guy or you're a bad guy, you know. And then I said to myself, like, I don't want to be that person. I, I don't want to become that cancel culture person. There's a lot of good that this person brings the world. And his books have really helped me understand a lot of things. And I actually decided not to unfollow him. And I'm, I'm still following him. And just today he posted something again about Israel and about Gaza and about how Israel is killing all, killing all these innocent people. And I sent it to my daughter because she also loves his books. And we were talking about, you know, being able to hold several conflicting emotions in your heart at the same time and, and not doing what you just said about, you know, there's only two boxes, right and wrong, good and bad. You know, but being able to live with a little more complexity than that. So it's it's so interesting you brought that up today because it's something I've been thinking about recently.
2: Do you mind sharing who it is? Or are you challenged? Yeah,
0: yeah. His name is Matt Haig. I don't know if any of you have read his books. He wrote The Midnight Library. He wrote The Humans. Um, Reasons to Stay Alive. He's an unbelievable person and author, and he has been through a lot of stuff. He's he has autism, he has mental illness, he's very open about his struggles. And I found him to be a very inspirational person. You know, and then when he started posting about Israel, I'm like, bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> you it's know, just, life is more complicated.
3: Just,
1: than that.
0: Well, I think,
3: I think we also it, it is complicated, because just say he was a Jew, who maybe had parents from the Holocaust, and he started bad-mouthing Israel I think we would you would look at it different he is he just posted today oh. that he's a descendant of Holocaust survivors <laughs> So now he's like justifies just if I'm allowed us
0: to be mean to Israel because of that's right and then that's what when I shared it with Yiti because she's she's not on Instagram anymore so I shared it with my daughter and she's like you know people say that like because then it, it sort of gives them a pass
3: mm-hmm.
0: you know oh well I'm Jewish too oh okay so <laughs> you know But on the other hand, you can be critical of Israel and you can be critical of the Israeli government and not deny Israel's right to exist. That's a nuance, too. Right.
2: I said this the other day to somebody. I said I can be critical of America, American politics and not agree with everything that's going on in American politics, just like I cannot agree with everything that goes on in Netanyahu's politics and still love Israel and still. Yes. So it's not being a bad Jew. It's being a nuanced Jew. That's right. Israel and a
3: nuanced American who loves my country. Mm -hmm. And Sherry, because you love your country, it goes back to Musar, exactly what we just spoke about. You need to be able to be honest with what you need to improve on. And And if you love your country, then you should be able to say, look, we need to improve on this country. Right. So it's exactly it's. Exactly right. what Ruffie was talking about today is a personal
0: level. Right. You know, I, I want to share with you guys, I'll put it on the WhatsApp chat. There's this woman on um Instagram whom I met in Israel. Her name is Ashagar. She's an Ethiopian Jew. Um, she's on Instagram under the name Black Jewish Magic. It could be that she is on Facebook as well. I'm not sure I follow her on Instagram. Anyway, she just put out a real, a video yesterday, and she was talking about how she keeps getting this comment, like, why are Ethiopians standing up for Israel when Ethiopians have been mistreated by Israel? And she made the most beautiful video that literally speaks to what we're talking about right now. She's like, do you understand that we were persecuted for centuries, for millennia in Ethiopia because of our Jewish tradition? Our, our whole dream from the time we were born until the time we died was to get to Israel. And then we got to Israel and was there discrimination from the white Ashkenazi European Israelis to the black Ethiopian Israelis? Yes. And have I shouldn't say herself, but like, have we protested to make Israel better? Yes. You know, but she's like, you have to understand something in Israel. We're a family. If my brother or my sister does something that drives me crazy, am I going to protest? Yes, because I care about my family. But if somebody from the outside threatens my brother and sister, am I going to be the first one to stand up for them? Also, yes. So there's the nuance that we were talking about. You know, she can protest against Israel's, you know, like lack of even treatment with with the Ethiopian and in a larger sense, the Sephardi community, you know, and desire to improve the country that she loves, which is Israel, and also join the IDF and help Israel protect herself against outside threats that's not a contradiction, right? It's literally the same thing.
2: I think it reminds me of what you taught us in Musser many, many years ago, which is both.
0: Hmm. It could be
2: both. It could be, both. It could be right. both. And if we look at things as both instead of, and, or then we're in a much better place to begin with.
0: So true. So true.
2: You taught us that though. Thank you.
0: Well, you reminded us. So thank you.
2: You're welcome. It's both.
0: It's both. It's both. All right, ladies. Great to be with you all today. Thanks for the great discussion. Have a beautiful day. Shabbat, ladies, and Mr. Homo Excuse me. Didn't mean to exclude. Have a wonderful <laughs> Shabbat. And God willing, I will see you all back here next week. Have a happy new year. God willing. And next and next be, year. <laughs> uh, yeah. May it be uh you know what, let's take all opportunities for renewal, right? Whether it's a singular new year or our new year, either way, we can always use it as an opportunity to pray for a better, better future, better times for our personal renewal. um, And God willing, may it be a great year. I heard a funny thing. Here we have
2: two Hanukkahs. Did you hear that? No. We have Hanukkah at the beginning of next at the end of next year and at the beginning of next year.
0: Oh it does? Oh.
2: Because oh. of how it lands.
0: We have two adars. Oh, 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 oh. Next year you're saying. Next yeah. year. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh cool.
3: Oh cool. Is that
0: yeah.
3: yeah. So that's down. really late. Yeah.
0: It's cool. It's still only eight days. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Right. But it's in yeah. Twice. But you know,
0: you year. know us Jews, we'll milk it for all it's worth. Of <laughs> course. <laughs> all right guys thanks Shabbat for participating Shabbat. bye
2: bye, bye. Shabbat. Shabbat.